0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, My name is Buzz, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I think Danny might have asked me to speak about compassion because I'm the pastor on our staff, by far the most likely to actually cry on stage. So (laughs) it might happen. I'm not afraid of it. Um, But I'm excited about our Becoming series because we get to speak about what it means to become more and more like the character and nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is really good news. But I don't think we can do that without telling some truth. Like I really believe in the value of truth-telling, of seeing a thing for what it is and embracing that fullness, that wholeness, and dealing with that. You know, this is why, for example, I don't, uh, I don't tell people lies about the jokes that they tell. I tell people the truth, right? So if your joke is not funny, I will not laugh at your joke, all right? <laughs> it will not happen. Some people are polite, they'll fake laugh, but man, I want that person to have accountability, I need to work on my humor, you know. I can hear from your accountability, this is like a four out of a five joke, four out of 10 I should say. I'll work on it, thank you for your accountability. Um, You know, in the United States sometimes, I think especially here in the United States, we have a culture that's a bit shallow at times, and we ask people, how are you doing? And we don't want the truth, we are woefully unprepared for the truth. What if somebody actually told you how they were doing? oh, man, are we ready to deal with that? How people are doing is heavy. You know, but sometimes that truth will find you. It will almost, like, leap out and grab you when you least expect it. You know, this happened to me last week at work. It was a day like any other day. I took some clothes out of my closet. I put some clothes on. I went to work. And then everybody was like, wow, you look really nice. And uh, I was wearing, actually, this jacket, this shirt, these jeans, these boots. And... uh, (laughs) I liked everybody's compliments, I I did, but I didn't really like the abject surprise with which those compliments were delivered. You're like, wow, I've never seen you look so good. Pastor Vance came up from behind me, he didn't even recognize me, right? And I thought, I didn't come to work today to learn how my colleagues perceive me as a dresser, but I have learned the truth, right? This truth has leaped out and embraced me that I am like a Star Wars t-shirt guy, right? And jacket of disguise, You know, this is a little bit fun. It might be the only fun moment we actually have this morning because sometimes truth that grabs us is much more heavy, much more life-lasting or long-lasting, much more eternal than just what you wear or just how you feel. You know, like Larry shared, we have come out of a season of real grief as a church family, and the Carlos family didn't expect to find out the truth of is God really there for them in the midst of tragedy two weeks ago Tuesday, but they found it out. For us and our family, this is a heavy day as well. Three years ago today, my father-in-law went to be with the Lord. Sometimes emotions tell you the truth about how you feel. I'm not afraid of them um, because it's heavy. Three years and it still hurts. We didn't expect to learn on March 8, 2017, is the Lord there for us when we need him? But we did. And that truth... That the world is not yet right grabbed us in a way that we were not ready for. And we needed the compassion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I want to tell you some good news today. Jesus put it a certain way in John chapter 16 that I think is so beautiful. And in verse 33, the apostle writes to us that, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. You know, Maybe you're not convinced this morning that the scripture is true, but I think at least that first part is true, right? That in this world, you will have trouble. We've all experienced that, haven't we? Pain of grief or loss or unemployment or financial hardship or illness or broken relationship. Maybe you didn't even earn it. You know, I think about poor Lana and uh, what about her teachers and the principal and her classmates that are there with an empty desk today? Oh, man. What about parents and grandparents and sister and friend? What about the driver? What about the passerby? spy? What about the first responders? These people that experienced this loss and this tragedy that they did not sign up for in this world, you will have trouble. But today, the good news is that Jesus Christ has overcome the world. I want to zoom in in Matthew chapter 9 and see how that impacted Jesus' life and ministry. And you can turn there if you have your Bible. It should be also in your Three Crosses app. And we're also going to put it on the screen because this is our our key text for today, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And it says this, it says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. I confess this has been a very difficult message to prepare for because how can I sit in grief and come out with like 20 minutes of hope for everybody that's easy to grab onto and easy to understand and that you can put practically when a lot of times I feel like that sheep who's harassed and distressed and I need a shepherd. So if that's you this morning, you're in the right place. Jesus loves you and he has a good message for you. And I want to highlight three things about that message from Matthew chapter 9 this morning. And the first of these is that compassion is involved whenever we preach the kingdom. Right here in verse 35, it says that Jesus was going throughout his area, teaching, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, but he was also healing the sick and healing the infirm. This is one of these truths that almost like leaps out and grabs you from the gospel that you're not expecting because even where Jesus was there in the flesh, very present face to face with people, not everything was yet 100% right there was still work for Jesus to do. He was healing, he was teaching, he was gathering. There's a right that Jesus has within himself kind of to put our world in the proper ordering. Right? This is the term that the scripture uses sometimes called the kingdom of heaven in the gospel of Matthew or the kingdom of God sometimes elsewhere in the scriptures. And that refers to this area in which Jesus is Lord and things have been set right. And this is in contrast to the world, right? And the world is that area in which things have not yet been set right. Those areas where we still have pain and loss and brokenness and fear and worry and sickness and disease, those things that we long for Jesus to set right one day. This is the difference between the kingdom and the world. This is why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray that his kingdom could come here on earth as it has in heaven. Because the truth is, The kingdom is not yet all the way here. We still suffer. Can you imagine what this earth would be like if it were just like it is in heaven? If we loved one another like we will in heaven? If we forgave one another like we will in heaven? If we laid our lives down for one another like we will in heaven? Can you imagine what our world would be like? That's the kingdom that Jesus is preaching, and he's bringing it into existence by his compassionate acts You know, a lot of times when you experience pain or loss or grief, there is such an aloneness that happens, a loneliness, a separatedness. In the Old Testament, the idea of compassion was always linked with this idea of belonging to the covenant family or belonging to the family of God. In other words, when these people would suffer, whether it was fatherlessness or illness or poverty or exile or a feeling of far from home, when they suffered things like this, they would ask, where is God in all of this? is he still here? Do I still belong to him? Or is he mad at me? Kind of put another way, you might ask, or say it this way, that pain asks, do I still belong to the family of God? And compassion says, yes, absolutely you do. You know, as I continue to share some of our family's story with you, um, I confess it's hard. Three years later, it's hard. My wife said the other day that time doesn't heal, that Christ alone heals. I think that's true because three years might feel like yesterday. When we received the news that Dallas was gone, I had to come out and tell my family that they're not getting good news today. And to look into my mother-in-law's eyes and say you want me to tell you something hopeful? I don't have hope today. I had to tell my wife, you're looking for this next chapter. This next chapter is closed. Man, that hurt. It felt like, where is God in this? Did he abandon us? Where has he gone? Do we still belong to his family? The good news was, yes, (laughs) We did. We do. You know, compassion is both a, a feeling, like an emotional feeling, as well as a, as a response, in action in response to that feeling. You know, when I was sharing this news with our family, I didn't have the capacity to process it in that day. But looking back, like I see the grace that has invaded our family for Decades, right? I told you this morning, we're telling the truth. And the truth is that growing up, uh, Tara's dad was not always a good dad. Um, It was hard for him to show affection. It was hard for him to show love. Um, It was hard for him to be that compassionate figure in their home. Um, Sometimes I think Tara and her siblings and even her mom could have asked, Where is God in in this family? If he's good and he's setting things right, where is he? But the action that that family took, and I think specifically Heather, my mother-in-law, who it's weird for me to like talk about, she's sitting right there, Um, but it's good, right? (laughs) Um, The action of patience and long-suffering. And she prayed for her husband, and she was there for her husband, and she didn't leave her husband. I think a lot of people would have quit on Dallas. A lot of people did, but she didn't. And by that action of compassion and that action of long-suffering, the Lord did a miracle in his life. When he was in his 60s, the Lord turned his heart around. And then when we had kids and we lived with them, he could express love to my children. He could tell them, he could give them a hug. He could ask for forgiveness. These things that he could not do his whole life. The Lord had changed him because of the long-suffering compassion of those around him. Not because we just felt something in our hearts, but because somebody stepped up and did something over a long period of time for him. Of course, the Lord deserves all of the glory, but these agents of the kingdom were instrumental in Dallas's life. You're not compassionate just when you feel something, you're compassionate when you do something and you express it to someone. You know, maybe another one to say it, or another way to say it is that compassion is the bridge that we build from the good news of the kingdom into the hurt places of the world. It's not something that's inside us. It's something we bring outside of us to those around us. You know, it's not news today that people are hurting and that our world is broken and that it's tough and that in this world we have trouble. But I wonder if this morning maybe you have some fresh, good news for people in those kind of places, for people that are hurting or long-suffering with patience. Can you speak a word of encouragement? a text or a phone call or reach out? Can you send a card? Can you invite someone to share your space, whether it's having them to your home for dinner, sharing a lunch break with a coworker you know is struggling in their marriage? Can you sit with someone at school who's on the fringes? Can you invite someone to church to say, by your presence, you are not alone. God is with you and I am with you too. That is the bridge building compassion that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, teaches. Now, not only did Jesus teach it, he lived it out. All right, and that's my second truth for us this morning is that Jesus modeled compassion for us. You know, Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. He says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus stepped right into the midst of our pain, right into the midst of our brokenness, right into the midst of our humanity, right into the midst of this world, and he bore its hurts alongside of us. He had compassion on us, not some sort of heavenly emotion where he was detached, but the kind of compassion that compelled him to do what Philippians 2 says is laying aside the exercise of his deity, not considering the equality with God, as it says in Philippians 2, something to be gripped onto tightly, but he humbled himself and made himself nothing, being found in human likeness. That means he hurt and he suffered and he was hungry and people abandoned him and he lost family members, just like we have. Just like we have. He lived out his teaching that the least in the kingdom were the greatest when he became the least of all and he humbled himself to a criminal's shameful death on the cross so that in him we might celebrate his resurrection life as well. That's doing something about it. That's real biblical compassion. And that's the king we serve in Jesus Christ. You know, the psalmist put it a little bit differently than Paul hundreds of years before Christ came to earth. And in Psalm 34, 18, he writes that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I've always known this about the gospel. Like I've understood it in my mind uh, from the crib, probably my parents taught me this. And I, I I know it, but I had never really experienced it as true, probably, until three years ago. It took becoming pretty brokenhearted to know what it meant that the Lord was near. It took becoming crushed in spirit to know what it meant that the Lord was there for me. You know, when I had known in my head that God is good, I now had to walk out in my life and did I experience that God is good? What I read in the Bible that God is near to the brokenhearted, I had to experience it for myself. Is he really near to me when I'm brokenhearted? And this isn't a truth I thought that I needed to learn. I thought I knew it. But I can tell you the truth, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he does save those who are crushed in spirit. And this is good news. This is, to me, in many ways, the compassion of Christ, to come near to us in our time of need and absorb our hurt and pain and give us his peace and love in exchange, to take something that's not his, that he didn't earn, to give us something that's not ours, that we didn't earn. This is the work of compassion. You know, my wife sometimes says that although she'd never wished for anyone to suffer like we have or, or like you have or like everyone has, at the same time, those of us that have suffered deeply have been marked out in a way with this intimacy with Jesus Christ that we didn't earn. It's almost like a secret club, she says, that you get ushered into and you see God in a fresh and a new way and it is beautiful. It really is. That weak, that crushed, that broken-hearted space is where God is moving, that's where he is near. And so compassion gives us the privilege of being able to put ourselves close to where God is working in the world. If the scripture is true, and I think it is, then compassion puts us close to the mission of God. When you step into somebody's life who is hurting and broken and filled with pain, you are close to the kingdom. You know, Philippians chapter three puts it this way. The Apostle Paul says, I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You know, I think sometimes it's easy to want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and in the good things, but do you really want to know Christ in the suffering places and in the death that he suffered? To fully know Christ and to fully know his compassion, you have to to suffer there is no other way that's where he is near and that's where he is working at that junction between where the kingdom hasn't yet advanced and where the world is pushing back that's where the compassionate workers of Jesus Christ that's where we need to go that's why I want to suggest kind of this third thing for us this morning that the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few Sometimes we think about this harvest almost in terms of a gospel harvest, like introducing people to Jesus Christ for the first time. And that's certainly part of it. But I think here in Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus is teaching and preaching and healing and gathering people, feeling such compassion for them that they're distressed, like people without a shepherd, he's saying that the compassion harvest is plentiful. Look at all the work there is to do to care for these sheep. Look at all the work there is to do to heal the sick and bind up the wounded and be close to the brokenhearted. That harvest, you guys, that's a plentiful harvest. There is so much hurt. There is so much pain and there is so much loss. The harvest absolutely is plentiful. Do you want to become one of the few workers sent out as a compassionate worker? If you do, I'm going to suggest four challenges for us this morning. These are kind of things that I've learned in dealing with grief that I wish I had known three years ago. I look back at some of my friends that were suffering. I was not there for them well. And I want you to be there well for somebody, not because I have all the wisdom or because all of my learning is great, but because God is great. And so that's why, number one, I think if you want to become more compassionate, you have to develop a new and a rich intimacy with Jesus Christ. This is the center of our whole Becoming series, isn't it? That we don't become like Jesus by working hard or following a formula or just gritting our teeth and sticking it out. We become like Jesus Christ by spending time with him, by walking as he walked, living as he lived, just modeling ourselves as an apprentice to the master. There is no substitute for intimacy with Jesus Christ. You cannot show compassion if you do not draw near to the compassionate one. You just can't do it. Maybe you can for a while. But if you want to be compassionate in your life and be like him, spend time. Maybe that's a quiet time away with just the two of you each and every day. Maybe that's corporate prayer at church. Maybe that's church on Sunday. Maybe that's seeing the movement of God in your daily life and really observing it and participating with it. God is always with you. I think he's always speaking to you. If you open your ears and listen, become like him. Develop that intimacy with Christ and you will become more compassionate. The second thing I'd like to share this morning is that to become more compassionate, you need to unleash your courage and root yourself in patience. You know, I've talked a lot today about how compassion requires truth-telling. We can't pretend like hurt isn't there. That's not compassion. We can't soft-sell it or hand-wave it. That's not compassion. We have to look hurt Pain, loss, and grief full in the face. And can I tell you that it hurts a lot? Absolutely it does. You know, in the, in the months and weeks and days following Tara's dad's passing, you know, somebody told her mom that the reason that they hadn't reached out to Heather was that they themselves are just dealing with so much grief. It just felt so heavy for them. And that's probably true. And I don't mean to judge, and I don't know anybody's heart, of course, but it kind of felt like to me, like, it's actually hard for Heather, right? Who's lost her husband and who's alone. It's not hard for you to pick up a phone and call or to write a card or to reach out. It didn't feel like a failure of compassion, really. It felt like a failure of courage to me. It felt like that person had wimped out, so to speak, that they were not willing to look the pain in the face and to be there. To be a person of compassion takes great courage. Like, how can we tell the mother of a 12-year-old that the Lord is with you if we're not brave? I also think it takes patience because the speed at which grief moves is very slow. Right? This is why I think we talk about sitting with someone in their grief because that's the speed. No speed right? We're sitting, we're not moving. Here I am three years later, and I'm still crying on stage about not even my dad, not even my husband, my father-in-law, who I cared about. But what about the Carlos family in April or May or June? And we've moved on, and we've forgotten the funeral and the reception and the flowers and the cards and the notes, but they haven't forgotten their daughter. Are you courageous to process with them in compassion for months or weeks or years? Bold enough to say, I haven't moved on either? To speak about their loved one at the risk of bringing up some emotion? I guarantee you they're thinking about the loved one. It's not weird for you to bring it up. It's weird that they're the only one thinking about their loved one, they feel. So to be compassionate, You have to be courageous and you have to be patient. There's no other way. That's the speed at which these things move. And to bring the kingdom, you have to be likewise. And so that's why the third thing that I'll suggest is that doing nothing is always wrong. I think one of the reasons people don't reach out or step into somebody's pain or grief is they're afraid that they'll do the wrong thing. Um, There's no easy right thing. That's for sure, right? There's no manual, there's no roadmap. There's no rules. Grief is a storm-tossed sea. You probably will say the wrong thing, but the only way to guarantee that you'll say the wrong thing is to say nothing. That's absolutely wrong. Grief is so lonely on the inside, you're just desperately waiting for someone to punch in there and let you know that they're there. It doesn't matter if it's a Hallmark card or literally anything. It's like a breath of fresh air, cold water in the desert. Saying nothing While being well-meaning, very often is just the wrong thing. You know, the book of James puts it this way. He says that anyone who knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Man, and that is heavy, but I think it's true. We need that courage and boldness to step in and do something. That brings me to my fourth challenge this morning. This is the other reason I think that people don't show compassion, is they're worried about the Why? Right? But I suggest this morning that the why doesn't matter. You don't have to be a compassionate inspector to find out the full story or all the details. Or maybe if somebody lost their job, did they get fired for a cause? Or did they make some mistakes? Or did they choose a foolish career path? Like, that person's worrying about where's my children's next meal coming from? They don't need you to make all these judgments before you extend care. The why doesn't matter. It just doesn't. Right? We all have sinned. And Christ died for us while we were all sinners. And now he has reversed it, that we all deserve care and we all deserve compassion in Jesus' name. Absolutely. If we're going to be compassionate like Jesus, that means compassion goes to everybody always. No exceptions. The why doesn't matter. They don't have to prove to you that they deserve it. Nobody deserves it. Everybody deserves it. And one thing I love about following Jesus is that He doesn't ask us to do anything for others that He didn't first do for us Himself. I love how the author of Hebrews puts it in chapter four. This is a passage that I cling to a lot, and it says that therefore, since we have a great High Priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a High Priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love verse 15 where it talks about how Christ can empathize with us in our weaknesses. And so if you're in grief or pain or loss, Jesus knows what that is like. He walked that out here on this earth. If you are hungry and you don't know where your next meal is coming from, Jesus knows. If you've been abandoned by your friends in a time of need, he knows what that's like. He knows all of your weak and hurt places. And he invites you to join him. So as we close this portion of our service today, I'm going to invite you to participate with me in a moment of reflective intercessory prayer. I think prayer is a way that we can bridge that gap between the kingdom and the world. And so Sarah's going to be playing for us. Let's go to the Lord and ask him to fill that gap of need and hurt and loss. Maybe you'd like to pray for the Carlos family. They need our prayers. Maybe you'd like to pray for our family. We need your prayers. Your hurt, your loss, your pain. Pray for that. Ask the Lord to intercede. In a minute, Sarah will start verbalizing some of these words, which are very true, that the Lord makes a way where there seems to be no way. And this is the good news of compassion, that in this world, we have trouble, but Jesus has overcome the world. Let's go to him in prayer. So Father, as we attend to you in these next minutes and moments, Father, may we have courage, boldness, and patience to show your compassion to this world. Would you move and work and have your way, even as you are already doing? May your kingdom come here on earth as it has in heaven, we pray.